<coughs> so that was uh, that was a video there depicting passage that I'm going to talk about this evening for a few minutes with you. So if you guys got Bibles, let's uh, let's open. We're going to be in Luke 22. We're going to start in verse 14. and the apostles with him, he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which I which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. This cup poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another about which of them it could be who was going to do this. I'm going to jump a couple parts, but I want to read everything. And so we're going to skip down to verse 31 from there. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison, both to prison and to death. <laughs> Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not this day until you deny three times that you know me. And we're going to jump to 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling on the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. <clears throat> and then we're going to jump to 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. You're going to hear this twice because I'm going to overlap. I think what John's going to read a little bit. Uh, was following at a distance. 
And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you were talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of how the Lord had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept. <coughs> Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we uh, we come to you tonight with uh, the one of probably the, the, the heaviest, uh, most difficult uh, passage in your Word, Lord. But it's also one of the most critical. Um, the most important uh, and, and it's not something that we want to take lightly and it's not something that we want to skip over um, we lo- we're nothing without without your resurrection Lord but we're nothing without your death either without your atonement uh, and just that you didn't know us anything but we owed everything and, uh, and, that, and that you willingly came you willingly came for us Lord and you you, you executed a plan of redemption for us, Jesus, and we thank you for that. We want to acknowledge that and remember that uh, tonight, Lord, as we look into your word. And uh, I pray that we would do that. I pray that you would minister to us tonight mm-hmm. the gravity of what your son accomplished for us, Lord, and for no other reason other than that you love us. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we just pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm. All right. So this passage is uh, it's it's really rich. It's like super dense. There's a there's a lot of stuff in here, and basically I'm not going to tackle all of it because there's too much of it. So um, I picked out the I picked out just some some key parts that that I felt God really impressed on me out of this in light of. <coughs> Good Friday, that was yesterday, right? We celebrate every day what Jesus did for us. So we want to understand some things about it, and we want to see what it, what what that means. So let's uh, let's first start right at the beginning there. So he's eating the Passover. I just want to briefly, and very briefly, uh, touch on the Passover. There's ton of detail in regards to the Passover, but we want to talk just what Passover was. What does that mean? Okay, so, um, it means it has a lot of implications on what the Israelites did, you know, ceremony and stuff. But basically, it's 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 a celebration and a remembrance of God showing mercy on the Israelites in in in, in Egypt. Right? Uh, they were their bondage and they're in slavery to the Egyptians and. Uh, God raises up Moses to come and, and bring them out, right? To rescue them out of that bondage. And Moses is like, Pharaoh, let my people go. 
And Pharaoh's like, no, 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 no. So God starts these plagues. And the tenth plague, as Pharaoh persists to say no, um, God's going to send an angel of death that's going to kill all the firstborn children in Egypt. <clears throat> and this act of mercy is that he instructs the Israelites to kill a lamb. I'm sure it was probably several. <laughs> and, and, and take the blood of the blood of this lamb and apply it to the door of all their houses. And, uh, and that when the angel of death came, he was going to pass over the homes that had applied the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed. So the, the lamb was, was killed instead of instead of the firstborn. When you, when you look at this, you, you can't. You can, I mean, you can obviously see the sacrificial element, right? And so it's a looking forward, it's a foreshadowing, it's really prophetic of of, of a sacrifice that was going to come later that we're seeing happen uh, right here. Um, so this is looking forward to Jesus coming and and shedding His blood for us in in our place, just as the Lamb was killed in in their place. And that, that happens because the, the 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 blood of the lamb ultimately was not enough. It was not enough. You, we could you could kill an innocent animal in your place, and God would accept that for the time. But it wasn't enough to atone uh, for everything. And and we needed something. We needed something greater. We needed something more. And uh, and that's what we're going to see that Jesus has come to do. So he sits down. He sits down uh, with his disciples, and it says he earnestly desired to eat this Passover with them. Why does he earnestly desire this? I'll, I'll first off tell you, it definitely wasn't like the food. I'm sure they were not looking their chops and drooling over flatbread and a family-style cup of wine. So there's another reason that Jesus is like, I really am excited. I'm, I'm, you know, this is an important time. Um, so he's got several reasons that he, a couple that he lists, and then, and, and when you when you look at those, and we are blessed to have the hindsight of the gospel story to see what's going to happen right after this, and uh, he's got. He's got this bitter, sweet atmosphere, right, in his in his heart about what's going on there, and every point of uh, every point of importance and excitement and gladness about getting to partake of this meal with these guys is contrasted with a point of of pain and sorrow. And uh, so <clears throat> he he has this joy of getting to share in this important moment. This is, I mean, the Passover was a was a, a big deal. And uh, he gets to share in this important time and meal with his closest friends, but that's that's mixed with knowing that that one of them right in his midst is literally like as they're speaking, betraying him in his heart first to to death, right? And he's got these guys that are his closest his closest brothers, and one of them is is handing him over already. He also has uh, probably a lot of. I, I think it, eternally, right? He's got a lot of joy that he's he know Jesus knows what's coming and what's happening. He's so close to finalizing God's plan of redemption, right? To executing the 
the final act of, that's going to bring the victory over sin and death for us. Uh, he's, he's right at the cusp of, of, of accomplishing it. But that's the biggest part for him also. He's looking at, I'm so close, but boy, look, look what he's got to, think about what he's got to go through. And he knows what's coming and what he has to go through. So he's going to have this victory, but he's got to go through uh, something terrible. And I, I imagine it's especially hard for a man who's also God and, and knows what he, he knows what's coming. And uh, it's not going to be a surprise. Mm-hmm. And yet he's there. And, and that's so critical. That's so critical for us. And we'll, we'll see. We'll see that in a little bit here. <clears throat> so, um, <coughs> in verse 16, he's saying that he's not going to eat of this meal with them again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom. So he's referring here. I just want to put it out there. I'm not going to go into a great deal about this either, detail about this either, but he's referring, he's looking into the future to the end when, when we arrive in heaven and uh, that to what's what's referred to in Revelation uh, 19, 6 through 9. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb and that's going to be the fulfillment of what he's talking about there. And uh, so basically that's, that's where that's going. I'm not going to talk about that a lot. Um, but I do want to talk about what they're eating. So they're eating the bread. He says, take this bread, it's like my body. Take this wine, it's like my blood. It's poured out. What's happening here is Jesus knows exactly what's what's about to go down. And he's saying, um, and this is incredible, before he dies, he's saying, here's what here's what you can remember me by and remember what I did uh, by. And he's going to, you know, in other passages, he's going to say, as often as you do this, remember me. And, and then look at what he gives us. It's something so common, right? It's bread. And wine, and it's a symbolism of just as often as as often as you're as often as you're eating and drinking, remember what Jesus did for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <clears throat> he says the bread is going to be like his body, and the and the wine is going to be poured out like his blood. And poured out is uh, at the time would have been really that's that's reference also. It's kind of got a duality. It's death, right? It's it's reference to death, let alone losing your blood. That his blood is going to be shed. Uh, and Hebrews 9.22 uh, tells us, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And he's saying that he came to fulfill that. So Israel had been, by this time, uh, sacrificing these animals for a long, long time to atone for their sins. Uh, but it... They've been doing this for so long, and yet they have to do it every year. And what it amounts to is what I, is, is, is that it's not enough. There's a temporary solution to an eternal problem, and it's a workspace solution, frankly, to an eternal problem that only need, that needed an eternal that needed an eternal solution. Uh, you could sacrifice and atone for your sin. As soon as you sinned again, you're guilty again. So what we needed was someone to atone for all of it. Okay? So that's what Jesus came to do. To do, we're we're all guilty, and instead of sacrificing for these set windows of time of sins that, that these animal sacrifices can only cover these these certain sins, right, of your year or whatever, uh, Jesus basically came to do it once for all the sin, for all the past sin, the present sin, and all of the future sin. It was only required the one time. 
<clears throat> so <clears throat> he knows what he has to do and what he's there to do. There's a lot of things going on that's going to start that. So Judas, um, Judas is going to be an instrument. He's the catalyst that starts to set these events in motion. That's bringing them to. Uh, that's that's, that's going to bring all these things to the culmination of pretty much where Nolan's going on, uh, when, he, when we get to him. Uh, so, <coughs> Judas, you know, we, Frank talked about something on Sunday several weeks ago that was that was exactly what Judas is, is that he's, he's, with, God's, he's with God's people, but he's not one of God's people. Mm-hmm. And we know that his heart was hard long before this night, long before this time. And so God, he's, he's being used as an instrument, and he's being used as an instrument because he isn't a servant. And that's something Frank brought up in Exodus several re- weeks ago, right? Like with, with uh, different people, like with Pharaoh, right? So you have, you have those options, right? You can, the, the, the difference is just that uh, God uses everything for his good and for his glory, and the willingness... It makes the only difference whether you're a servant or an instrument. And Judas is going to be used as an instrument um, that he may not see, but it's what—it's exactly what he is. And he's fulfilling, you know, some pretty significant prophecies in the Old Testament just by what he—just by what he does. Um, <clears throat> all right, I want to move to uh, the next part. I know I jumped around a lot, so I want to get to Peter. What time do I need to stop this? Right now? Oh. Okay, I'm just going to go there. <laughs> so, <clears throat> looking at what's happening with Peter at this supper, okay? I want to start off with Satan is real. Demons are real. They're, they're working. They're active in the world, un- unseen forces that are fighting a battle all the time uh, in an attempt to to draw us from the Lord and bring us away from God and uh, or keep us from ever getting there to begin with. They're winning that battle in a lot of places uh, and, and over a lot of people. And I don't think you can deny that by just walking around and talking to people. But... It's already been determined from the very beginning that Satan loses this war. It's already over. But not yet. (laughs) Um, And as we're going to see tomorrow morning, the victory, it already belongs to Jesus. And he already knows. And so you're going to see this, what appears to be a victory for Satan, but it's a victory for Jesus. And it's 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 all part of his plan. So Satan's already been cast down from God. He knows his eternal defense is imminent. So therefore, his only mission objective is to bring as many people with him as possible. That's his goal here in his time on the earth, is to take as many of us with him as he can. Because he knows he's already lost. So he's not going to win, he just wants to drag more people with him. He uses tactics of pride and fear and circumstances in your life to attempt to shake loose your grip on Jesus that he might be able to snatch you and and drag you away. So he's come to God. You can see he's asked permission 
um, to come and, 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 and sift. They call it sifting uh, Jesus' friends and disciples here, and it's going to specifically it's going to specifically hone in on Peter. So Satan's going to sift these guys in an attempt to see if he can get them to shed their faith in Jesus as they flee in fear and confusion and, and misunderstanding. And he's, he's attempting to get them to, to drop Jesus um, along the way. Um, John, John Piper, I don't know if any of you guys listen to him, but you should if you don't. He describes this really well because this concept of sifting is difficult. So he describes this as uh, a big sieve and only upon permission from God to do so, Satan dumps Christians into this sieve and starts going at it, right? And a sieve is just a giant strainer. <clears throat> so, but the holes in this sieve are sized and shaped just such that you can only fit through these holes if you do not have, if you are not attached to faith, if you are not tethered with faith. And if when you have faith, it makes you too, it, it makes your shape wrong and your size too large to fit through the holes of this sieve. So, and that's kind of what Jesus says to Peter, that your faith, I pray for you, that your faith may not fail. As long as you hold, he holds that faith, then we're going to see that Peter does, even though he falls, that you won't you won't fall through that sieve because what's on the other end of that is is Satan looking to looking to scoop you up out of that and and again again pull you away. Uh, so Peter's gonna fall. How he's gonna do this is that Peter has this funny thing that a lot of us are familiar with. It's called pride. Um, <laughs> He's going to speak out. He's going to speak out in pride, and then he's going to shrink in in fear. And the two contrasting ideas are: he's going to uh, you have to you look at where he is right now when he's when he's bold. Jesus, I'll go to prison and to death with you. Uh, who, who's around him right now? He's with Jesus. Uh, he's with other brothers in Christ. So he's with he's with Christians. He's at church. Okay, Peter's at church, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll never let you down." And when there's tons of he does this often, right? He's like, "Lord, I will never fall away. I'll go to prison. I'll die. Whatever I got to do." When he's at church, and yet when he gets out there, he goes out into the world. What's going to happen? He's out amongst these people that don't know. Jesus, he's out amongst these people that are in the crowd, chanting crucify him, you know, and and, and wanting Jesus' death and a teenage girl is going to say, you were with him and he's going to shrink he's just going to cave in, in fear of man when he gets out into the world and uh, <clears throat> we talk about Jesus dying for us it, it invokes a certain amount of uh, passion and importance to, to just contemplate the gravity of, of what he did there. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we look at Peter, I wonder how many how many of us are like that. I think Peter is like more people than the other apostles. I think he reflects the attitude of a lot of people. How many of you were bold and brave 
for Jesus and the gospel and God's goodness and mercy and grace and love and all that Christianese words when you're at church. But out there, out there, out these doors, where does that go? Where does that go? You step out these doors and you encounter the enemy and he's out to get you and the people that just don't want to hear it and we flee in fear. We deny everything that we just spouted off inside the church walls around the people that are safe. And that's what it is, is that we're safe. And then it's great to talk it up, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of us are like that. We're internet bloggers. We're anonymous internet bloggers. Okay? You talk a big game when you're hiding behind the keyboard. But when you're out on the street, you would shove your own mom in front of that guy's fist. Okay? I, it's, it's, I, I'm going to wager that most people in this room experience that. You, it's, it's like a soldier, right? When he's in the mess hall, he's got all kinds of great words about what he's going to do to the enemy when he gets him in his sights or gets into combat. You drop him off in a hot battle zone under enemy fire and he wets himself <laughs> and goes and hides. This is not talking anything about our soldiers. They don't. But it's, it's that person that's like, I got it. I'm the man. And you put him, you put him in the field and they shrink. He's going to hide. Right? Let his friends go out into danger some of them to their death, and then reappear just in time to get picked up by the convoy on the way to church on Sunday morning. And do you do that when you go home, when you leave here, when you leave tomorrow morning? Are you just hiding out? Are you hiding out all week? From, from what you say, you profess and, and claim. I love Peter because uh, so much of me is Peter. I'm the biggest rock in the pond until somebody drops me in the ocean. He's going to be sifted. Peter's going to be sifted. He's going to be pulled from that pond. And But as we're going to read in Acts, his faith is not going to fail. We're going to go on to see to see that. because Not because, not because of him, because he made... Jesus, his rock. Mm -hmm. Instead of depending on him being the rock, even though that's what he's called in the Bible. Mm -hmm. In Acts 2.36, Peter speaks to all, pretty much all these people that were just there at Jesus' death. And he, in, 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 he, and he announces to all of them, all men in Judea, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And yesterday he said, not yesterday, he said, I don't know the man. Is Jesus your rock? And is your faith in him? So, it, do you have your faith in him so that you won't fall through that sieve mm. when that sifting comes? Mm. Not the same. John, I don't even see where I start. Where am I in? Do you know? Alright, I didn't look at the clock. Sorry. Okay, last part, and then I'm done. <laughs> uh, we're moving to the to the garden. So, 
There's a ton of stuff here too. I, I can't I can't dive as deep into it as you would want to do because you could talk about this for hours and hours. So I want to hit something, just one key thing. <clears throat> Jesus, as he goes to the garden to pray, he's completely fully aware of everything he's about to go through. I think that video depicts it really well, where he has these kind of flashbacks and flash forwards rather of the future. Right? He sees what's coming. He knows exactly what's going to happen because. He ordained it to happen from the beginning, right? I mean, all the way back in Genesis 3, you know, this this plan, then we get told about this plan being in place. So, <clears throat> he's known this was coming. It's not going to surprise him. He's not going to be, he's not going to be taken off guard about the injustice that he's about to suffer, that he's an innocent man who's going to get, who's going to get uh, treated because the complete opposite of an innocent person. So it says he sweats blood as he prays to this father in agony. <clears throat> His bodily condition, which would cause a person to sweat blood, would uh, the way that I'm not going to go into all that either. But the way that it, the way that that even happens biologically, would have to be under such an extreme amount of stress and agony and anxiety. Um, for that to happen. So he's pretty worked up, I would say, because I don't know anybody else that's sweat blood before. <clears throat> uh, it becomes very believable that he could do this when you when you get a look ahead to what in the very near near um, brutal future as as I think we're gonna get a really great picture from 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 Nolan that everything Jesus is gonna is gonna that everything he's gonna go through for us. So you think about all the all the pain and suffering he's about to endure, but uh, amidst experiencing the most brutal, severe means of execution that's probably ever been devised in humanity, I don't think this is his source of agony. As bad as, as bad as it sounds, and I think most of us know the crucifixion, I think his source of agony uh, is comes from the thought of losing his connection to the Father. And we're going to see uh, that as he hangs on, on the cross, he's... He's taking. He's gonna take on the sin. I'm sorry, Nolan. I'm, I don't want to step on you at all, man. I'm just gonna touch Take it, it baby. <laughs> As he hangs on the cross, he's gonna. He's gonna take. He's gonna take the sin of all of humanity on himself. God can't be in the presence of that sin. So it's a cause, and the effect of that is that God's gonna turn his face. And some of us don't have a problem with that because we've never really been with God to begin with. Right, we we haven't really dealt we haven't really dealt with like what's it mean? I don't really I don't really feel God. I don't experience God anyway. Right? Consider consider Jesus as he as he is absorbing right the penalty that rightfully belongs to us. He is uh, he's second person of the Trinity. Okay, he's eternal. He's always been there. You think about. Uh, the person he's eternally been present with, always been a part, right? Always been God, always will be God. He's going to experience this brief moment in all of eternity that there's going to be a gap. 
that there's going to be a separation. And it's our separation. And he's going to take it for us. And he's never been there, never done that. That The thought of that would induce you to sweat blood. And, and to say, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup. But he's going to submit even to that. He's, he can submit to death. He can submit to suffering. A lot of people do that, right? Uh, people die for other people all the time. He's going to submit to separating himself from God. So, <clears throat> I want to do one last, one last thing. <clears throat> I want you to pick out in your mind that you can close your eyes if you need to. The closest person to you in your life. Spouse, sister, brother, mom, dad, friend. Pick out that closest person. And imagine that you've that you've always for for your life that you've always been next to that person. They've always been there. It's that person you're woven with, you're connected to. Uh, so closely, right? You guys finish each other's sentences. You don't even have to speak. You just know what to do. Uh, imagine you had no memories. You love that person. You Imagine you had no memories without that person there. Now, pick out the worst person you can think of that you know or that you, or from wherever, from history. Uh, whatever, whatever you think it is. Dictators, murderers, rapists, thieves. You... you you pick them out. Somebody you know that's harmed you so badly that's your enemy or somebody you hold as the worst person in history. Pick that person out. <clears throat> now, that person is ill and they need a heart transplant. They've been sick from birth and it's coming to the point where they're going to die if they don't receive that this evil, wretched person that's done you wrong or done tons of other people wrong. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> you are the only person within a seekable range that matches their, their blood type and get, that can get there, that could possibly get there in the time that would to save this person. I know you see where I'm going with this, but mm -hmm. I still want you to think about it. Would you even would you even consider it for two seconds, for a second? Would you even ponder giving yourself up to save that person? Would you even uh, would it even cross would it even cross your mind? Even if you just kicked it right out the other ear, would it even cross your mind to separate yourself from the person you've always been with to save this wretched, <coughs> disgusting person that absolutely you would, you would agree would doesn't deserve it. Would you even counter that thought? I just want to read from Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. <clears throat> There's a lot going on in this passage. I didn't get to touch on all of it. Um, what I do want to go through, and especially this part in the garden, um, it's just one point. It's one bell, and I want to ring it really loudly for you guys. Jesus gave Himself up Willingly. Do you understand that? Okay? It was not a debt that he owed. It was not a debt that was required to be paid by anybody other than us. It's by nothing other than what that says in Romans. Nothing other than his incredible, extreme, unfathomable to our human mind's love for us. And we are that wretched person. We are that murderer. Right? We are we are that person. And Jesus said, I will do it. I will separate myself from you, Father, to save these people and to give them an opportunity to come back. To come back. So there's two there's there's two people that this goes to. If you don't if you don't know Jesus, you need to know that He did that. He did that for you. And, uh, and and you, you need you need to take that on. You need to examine that. You need to examine that. If you do, and you and you go to church, I kind of hammered it the last time I was up here. Um, if you don't live your life, if you don't live your life in the light and understanding of the price that Jesus paid for you, and His grace on your life, and His mercy. That's been that's been delivered to you. You need to consider that, and you need you need to do it. And if you need to make some changes, you need to make some changes, because we don't even have enough to turn back to God and say thank you, let alone to pay Him anything for it. So all He asks is all of us. And you say, well, that's all of me, but it's it's not even a drop in the bucket for what He did for us. It's all of you, but it doesn't even touch what He did for you. So, if you're a Christian and you're in here in church professing it, I love Jesus, and then you go outside and you're like, what Jesus? Look at Peter. Look at Peter. He's changed. He changes. He's empowered by something, and it's the Holy Spirit. And if you're not there, you're not experiencing that, mm-hmm. if you're not having Jesus spill out of your life every day mm-hmm. when you're not at church, change it. Tonight's the night that you can change it. Tomorrow morning we go into an awesome celebration of the rest of this story. Okay? We're, do, do we want to open this up through the in-between parts of the communion? Or just, the communion yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> we brought some communion because we're talking about Lord's Supper in here. We just we have it back there. We, we just want to leave it open so between the teachings and the songs whatever um, uh, if, you, if you're a believer... Go partake of the communion and go have that supper with the Lord 
But examine your heart and use it exactly what he says to use it for. Do this in remembrance of me. And I want you to think about and contemplate and consider the price that Jesus paid for you and that you didn't deserve it. We don't. So do that. And if you're not a believer, tonight's a good night to become one. And you can go take part for the first time. You can have you can have supper with the Lord for the first time tonight in remembrance of what He did for you and the price that He paid for you.